Welcome. You're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. Okay, well, so this has been Technical Difficulty Central here. Um, I finally got it working on Facebook. I apologize that uh, I said I was going live at 4, and I did, but I didn't go anywhere. So now it's 4.30, and I'm trying it again. And there'll be some fun um, family in the background, which is totally fine. And it's part of actually what I'm going to talk about today, which is how we uh, focus on living life um, when we think about our meaning. So there's this book by a guy named um, Mike Morrison. Uh, He's a friend of my dad's, and I I got the signed copy that uh, my dad has here. And um, in it, Mike uh, is his PhD in stuff, and he worked for Toyota for a long time, and and he talks a little bit about um, leading through meaning. And I thought it was a really fascinating read and a great um, chance to kind of think through uh, life and work um, from the perspective of how our work life um, meets our personal life and our personal meaning in the way that we find that. So uh, it's interesting that uh, places like Google will often kind of tap into this idea that employees work better when they're meaning their personal uh, mission and and desires and kind of stuff like that play into the company's mission. So uh, Mike puts it this way, the true meaning in life is to be discovered in the world as we fulfill our personal mission. And so I was thinking about those companies like Google who will give you money and vacation and even work hours to say, go work on this project that fuels your passion or, or help this nonprofit or do this. And I was thinking, what, what, was, what are they tapping into here? And then I started to realize, man, what about me? Like if I was at an organization like Google, would I really be able to answer that question? My personal mission statement, what is it? Uh, I worked at churches and so we had to do kind of mission statements and vision statements. And during one of the times, I wrote up these, or I had Janelle, using her better uh, handwriting, write up these values as we kind of discerned um, our, our kind of vision statement and stuff. So, uh, you know, doing the right thing, asking good questions, storytelling, simple living. These are kind of um, good, good old church values. But I, I started to realize, um, for myself personally, I need to think about how to write up a personal mission statement. And so as it's the new year, you may be kind of letting go of some of your um, New Year's resolutions or you might be trying to, you know, think about the goals for 2021 and things you want to accomplish. Maybe it's uh, stuff in your work or your career path or continuing education or getting better at different little skills, Um, you know, all these kind of things. Uh, You might use techniques like the SMART goals. Um, you know, ones that are attainable and measurable and, um, you know, you, it might be something like you do kind of a little gimmick where you put it on your bathroom mirror so you see it every uh, day when you go there. Uh, maybe you write it up like I have on this little thing and you hang it in your office and you see those goals and those things, those values there. Uh, maybe it's uh, something like you share it with an accountability partner or uh, a group and you say, you know, can you hold me accountable to these goals and, and these resolutions. Um, but I think a lot of times what we end up doing with those goals and stuff and those resolutions 
is that we're trying to manage bad behaviors a lot of time. We're trying to manage stress and the anxieties and the negativity. And uh, I'm sure you're trying to think about that, or maybe you've seen a lot of memes going around social media about, you know, hey, you just watch this dancing video or, uh, you know, take a break, take a breath. Um, there's, there's important stuff going on in our world, and yet it's overwhelming at times. And so we feel like we need to manage those, those negative thoughts a lot of times. And I've, I've thought about um, recently the amount of clutter in my life. Uh, so when we moved, um, the clutter is kind of, you know, physical clutter gets in the way. It means that I can't sit on the couch if there's stuff on the couch. I can't use the kitchen sink if there's stuff in the kitchen sink. Uh, I can't use the closet if, there's, if the closet's bursting and full of stuff. And so the same goes with our kind of life and leadership. If my calendar is full, if my meeting is full of stuff, if my newsfeed is full of negative thoughts, um, then it's going to be pretty hard to engage in that creative stuff. It's going to be pretty hard to go after finding meaning and actually adding to the mission of the world. I like to say it this way. It, it almost feels like we're swimming in a world of other people's missions. How could we ever think that we'd actually be able to pursue ours? So we think of the global missions, we think of political leaders, and we think of governments, and we think of the global economy and supply and demand, and all of these things that go on in our world that are forces that are on grand scale. We serve those missions. Uh, we're a consumer. We buy things. We get marketed to. Uh, we're a producer. Uh, we you know, build homes, or we manufacture things, or uh, we create products, uh, videos, and, and, uh, and all these things. Uh, we are, you know, part of uh, even just our biology is about consuming and producing. We eat food so that we can produce energy and uh, in our bodies and do things. Um, and then down on to, um, you know, having children and things like that. We, we're a species that procreates, that makes and has a mission to, um, to keep the species alive. And then you think about big things like global warming, you know, and climate change and all these things that are going on uh, with rising sea levels. We feel swept up into the world of things that are beyond our control. How can just me not using a plastic straw really change the world? And so we wonder, you know, about our personal mission within these things. Down to the real concrete things where it's, it's the person next door, the toddler, uh, who wants to get out of the crib and have dinner. And, you know, Ashlyn is, she's very much demanding uh, that I fulfill her mission in, in the world and help her do that. And likewise, the, the people in your life, your spouse or your, your family members or the people that you work with directly in your, your boss's mission, um, you are there to help them fulfill their mission. So how can you really spend much time thinking about your own personal mission? And yet that, I think, is what... Um, Mike Morrison and others have tapped into and in realizing that we, we create positive change best when we are living into our and fulfilling our personal mission. So what would be your personal mission? How might you go about writing that up? You know, a lot of times I think of mission statements as kind of these grand uh, statements about life and stuff, and yet um, they really probably are better and best expressed through uh, values. Rather than getting so specific that you name, 
you, what you're going to do in the morning from 8 to 9 in the morning. Um, what if you were a little bit more, what do I want to embody in this next year or in the next 10 years? Who do I want to be? These character qualities. As I wrote my book, Follow the Way, I started to observe how uh, Jesus lived in the, in the world in a specific way uh, with the characteristics of humility and he embodied gratitude and simplicity. And so these were values in his life that he then lived out and embodied and it was part of and definitely uh, a piece of his mission. So uh, as you think about the ways to keep up your vitality, your hopefulness, your positivity in the world, your ability to engage creatively in the world, um, I liked this quote that, that Mike Morrison had uh, from Peter Senge in, in his book. Uh, he said, in the West, this is Peter Senge talking, in the West we tend to think of leadership as a quality that exists in certain people. This usual way of thinking has many traps, so we've got to be careful. We search for specific and special individuals with leadership potential rather than developing the leadership potential in everyone. Through all of this, we totally miss the bigger question, what are we collectively able to create? So we really prize leaders who are decisive. We, we really like leaders who are a born leader, we say. Um, and they kind of rise above the crowd. But the reality is, we need to do this collectively. We can do so much more collectively. Uh, there's that kind of old proverb quote um, that's said so many times, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go uh, far, go together. And it's uh, in a nice mural uh, down on the river walk here in Eugene where I go uh, from our house. And I see it pretty much uh, a couple times a week as I do my walk with Ashlyn. And I've thought about that creative and collective ability uh, that we have and that we often miss because we think that only specific people are called to be leaders or have that leadership gift. And there's definitely people who are probably more naturally uh, born leaders, if you will, based on their personality or just acceptable leaders in our crowd, in our, uh, in our culture, in our world. Um, who get identified as ones, who are listened to, who can speak into the crowd and the, the noise and be heard. So for sure, we don't want to discount those special giftings uh, that people have. But I was thinking back to this idea of the clutter in our life and realizing that because of the clutter that I have, it often uh, inhibits me from seeing my creative and uh, my leadership potential. So likewise, if I have too much stuff, physical stuff, in my house or in my garage, I'm not able to use it as creatively. Recently, I uh, did some work on putting up some pegboard and organization, and now I can see where my tools are. And I was struck by the amount of the same kind of tool. And the reality is, you know, if I can never find my tape measure, I'm going to buy more tape measures. But the reality is if I can't find it because I haven't organized it well, then it's going to be hard for me to find that new tape measure, uh, even if I've bought a new one. So this reminded me of a thing that we used to talk about in lean manufacturing called the 5S. Um, and 5S is uh, just basically five words that begin with S, and uh, it's a kind of a, a tool or a tactic in lean manufacturing that just helps us think a little bit about our workspace and our area. So 
I'm going to apply this first to our physical uh, houses and homes and then think a little bit about how might this connect with our leadership potential and our creativity and our work. So the first one I like to start with is sort. Um, you could probably start with set in order or sort. Depends on how much clutter you have. Uh, I recently had to sort through a bin of things that I brought from uh, in our move and realized half of it was ready to be thrown away. And so if I had sorted better uh, when before I moved, I wouldn't have moved so much clutter, right? But the reality is sometimes it's, it's a process of sorting through, setting in order, cleaning it up, shining, and then going back through and sorting again and setting in order again and cleaning again. And as we do this more and more, we unearth more and more things that we don't necessarily need anymore. Uh, so as you think about uh, the things in your home, maybe it's your closet or your kitchen or your garage, uh, the things that need to be set in order and sorted out um, so that you can then have spaces to clean. You can clean up the shelves. You can clean up the workstation. You can clean up the kitchen sink and the kitchen counters. And you can see what's really there, and you can then be more creative in your cooking, in your, you know, your, uh, you know, handyman uh, activities. It's much quicker for me now with my new pegboard organization system in my garage at my workstation, for me to go and find that tape measure, to find that hammer, to hang that picture. Um, I'm going to actually hang this set of values that I showed you earlier in just a little while, and I know exactly where the hammer is and the nails are because my. Uh, workstation has been sorted and then set in order and it's not as clean as I would like it to be but I can clean up pretty quickly now and so shining is about cleaning up and then standardizing would just mean okay uh, probably it's important now for me that I've set a space for each item as a tool the tendency for me is to when I get done with a project just shove it back on the shelf somewhere there's space and now the tool is no longer where it belongs and so I haven't standardized it yet. And standardizing could look a lot of different ways. You could be really complicated and put a bunch of tags and organization things and say, you know, the hammer is tool one and so tool one goes on slot one and so on and so forth. Or you could be a little more loose with it and just say, okay, you know, when I'm done with a tool, I'm gonna put it back. And so you standardize your method. When I use one tool, I put it back. And so there's always only one space or two spaces left and so you always know where the space goes. Uh, on and on and on, there's, there's plenty of room for creativity when you think about standardizing. And then sustaining it would be to reflect on what's going amiss when I'm not hitting the standard. What are the, the issues? Oh, I'm always doing the project last minute. I don't have enough time to sort through these tools and make sure they all get back on their thing. I, I never do that. Well, let's let's reflect on how can we sustainably go through it. Do we need a day of the week where we put our tools back in order? So we have a bin where all the tools that have been used go in there, and then uh, on Monday we put the tools back on the shelf, uh, no matter what was being used, and we just have that sustainability of building that into our schedule. Um, so what does that look like for you in your personal life to use these five S's to kind of sort out the things that don't belong, to set in order what does, to clean up the workstation and the areas that you are uh, working in, to standardize your method of uh, sorting and, and setting in order and cleaning routine, and then sustaining that, figuring out how to keep that as a sustainable thing. So bringing that into leadership, into the creative sphere, 
if our calendar is so full of things that don't belong um, or just of things that are amiss, then we're not going to have time to engage in the creative work of being with people that we do care about or our mission or finding meaning. If uh, you know our life is so uh, cluttered and not um, set in order, then it's going to be hard to discern between the priorities of things that do belong and uh, what should we engage with right now and what to say yes to and no to. If uh, the place is not clean, you know, it, I think about my workstation here. If my workstation isn't clean, um, then it's difficult to engage in content. It's, in, it's difficult to have the books here. It's difficult to have a glass of water. If the workstation is full of stuff, I can't set it there. I can't have it there. But more than that, if it's not clean, I don't really know what's uh, not needed. If it's not clean, I don't know what's important and what's not important. And so as you think about your meetings, as you think about your, your daily schedule, as you think about the people in your life, uh, you can 5S these things. Uh, maybe it's not 5S's, maybe it's something else, but you can kind of see how this could be, be helpful. And so as I think about applying 5S uh, to this discussion around our mission statement, I think about the time when Janelle and I did a little bit of sorting uh, in our marriage. We had some conversations and we realized, hey, this would be really helpful for us to each go to therapy. And so we went uh, to therapy and we talked through some of our things and, and it was both very healing and, and good. And then we kind of started thinking it might be good for us to go um, engage in uh, a therapy together. And so we didn't end up uh, paying the money to, to go to marriage counseling. But we did join a, um, a therapist-led psychoeducational group at Fuller Seminary where I was a student and we got it discounted. And so this was a group uh, thing where we were with two other couples and we met for nine weeks. And during that time, uh, we worked through some problems, we talked through some things, we learned some tools of communication with each other. And at the end of it, we had dinner uh, together as a group and around the table we were to share what the vision for our marriage was. And so after eight weeks, we went home and we, for a week, worked on what is going to be the vision for our marriage. And she said, you know, you could think 10 years from now, what are some of the things you want to happen? What are some of the values that you want people to see? What about for you guys matters that you want to hold on to from the things that you've learned about each other and about uh, yourselves? And so as we looked at that, we we thought about all the pipe dreams that we have, you know, things like we wanted to, to buy a house and, and have a backyard for our kid to play and have a dog and some of these things we've, we've accomplished, which is awesome. We, never, we weren't sure we were ever going to get the, the house and all those kind of things. But further than that, we, we thought about the realities in which we paint these big pipe dreams for ourselves. We set these goals, and I think a lot of times New Year's resolutions are that way. They're kind of pipe dreams. And so for us, we thought, let's use that acronym. I love acronyms. Um, and so we started with uh, P. Well, we really value presence with each other, being present. And during that period of time, uh, it was really important to us to kind of set some boundaries on social media and on our phones and the, the ways in which we were being present with each other. So, um, you know, we don't want to be just watching a TV show all the time. or We don't want to just be looking and scrolling through social media. And so that was really important to us, that we set some boundaries on those things and be present. And we wanted our presence to be a quality of our marriage 
that our children saw in the future. And this was before kids, and it's become even more important. So obviously, we named some specific ways that we wanted to be present with each other, but we started to realize that for this pipe dream to really be important, it wasn't just about the specific uh, ways that we were living that out right then. It was a value we wanted to stand the test of time. And so we chose words that had specific meanings right then, but evoked in us an imagination for what could be in the future. And, and so I think uh, about the next ones, I, intentionality. We had some ways in which we wanted to be intentional around technology, not having our phones in our bedroom, charging them out in the kitchen. We talked a little bit about technology this way, that we wanted to push the glowing rectangles to the edges of our homes. Intentionality has taken on uh, a different form uh, later on, and actually the, the ways in which we approach all the other ones, we want them to be intentional. And our, our mentor in that uh, education group, the therapist who was leading it, she said, you know, we didn't always do everything well every year. We didn't do everything well every day by any means. As a couple, we argued. We had fights. Our kids saw us fighting sometimes. We didn't read the Bible every day. They were a Christian couple, and we wanted our kids to know we cared about the Bible. We didn't read the Bible every day for them. And she said, but the times that we were reading the Bible, we were intentional about it. The times that we were talking about vulnerability and authenticity in our marriage and how we got through conflict, we were intentional about it. And she said, our kids remember the times we were intentional. And so for us, we wanted to say when our family members look, they're not going to see us be perfect all the time and execute every goal that we set, but they're going to see there's going to be times in our life that we're really intentional about certain things. That's going to be a value. And then uh, the other P was prayer. So we're a Christian family. We talk a lot about um, reading our Bibles and praying. We just don't do it all that much. But when we do it, we're trying to be intentional with prayer. And we found that for Janelle and I, when we are praying together as a couple, it's not the most fluid thing. It's not something that we just look at each other and go, oh man, yeah, we all we want to do for the next few minutes is just pray together. Like that's not us. But we realized that that needed to be a value. And we had some mentors uh, who recommended saying, hey, you know, you want to make sure that the last thing you say to your spouse when they walk out the door is I love you. But you'd also love to start your day every day with them leaving the house knowing, hey, we prayed together. Um, and so that, that's powerful. I had some other mentors talk about, you know, even on a bad day, uh, praying together at night, every night was really powerful. Uh, I had a, a guy in San Diego uh, share with his uh, kids, or with the kids in my youth group, how he was amazed at the, the heartfelt nature of his wife's prayers. And he said that it was a radical idea for him uh, to, to just alternate where he prayed and then his wife prayed. And I was thinking, that is really good. It's a great way to listen to each other. And so for us, prayer has become an intentional uh, piece of our, of our uh, vision for our marriage. And then E is exercise. So in San Diego, we uh, were doing outdoor exercise. San Diego is a beautiful city to do that. Across the street from our apartment building in a park, we were invited to do a workout group twice a week. And it was high-intensity inter uh, high interval training um, with a guy named Freddie. And he taught us a lot about exercise and healthy eating. But the best part of it was doing it together. Janelle had been a collegiate athlete. Um, I like to run. Our exercise habits were vastly different. But in this, working out together in the same space, doing similar things, uh, was a real joy and something we enjoyed. 
And we realized that that brought us together in a level of intimacy that other things that we do together uh, don't always do. So we don't share all the same exact hobbies and things of interest. I like Star Wars. She doesn't. I like The Lord of the Rings. She doesn't. You're getting a, a trend here of the things that I like and she doesn't. Um, but there's a lot of things that we find uh, exercise being a great bridge for our intimacy. And so what does it look like for you to to kind of think through your personal mission statement? So that if an organization like Google ever did ask you, hey, how are you finding meaning in your life? Your your, how could we join with the way that you find meaning? You'd have an answer. And I think that Peter Senge is right. We prioritize um, kind of individual things. And so you might sit down and write your vision for your life or your mission statement for your life. And I would challenge you to say, go beyond that. Sit down with trusted companions, with a spouse, with a partner, with someone uh, who knows you intimately and spend time crafting those values, not necessarily a grand statement of how you're going to change the world, but how you might embody these values in your life uh, in the years to come. And, uh, and I hope that that will bring um, meaning to you, that you will truly um, find the meaning in life as you discover um, the way in which your personal mission statement is fulfilled in, in our world. Hey, I, I appreciate you uh, being with me uh, today and that uh, you kind of paid attention and you listened to what's going on. Sorry about being about a half an hour late on the, the thing, but I'm learning technical difficulties and all that. Uh, next week, I'm hoping that uh, it'll be me and my dad, Larry, on here uh, doing this live video. And like I said, if you're um, looking for the, the weekly video that he's uh, put together, it's going to be dropping on YouTube in the next hour, and you can uh, check it out. He's going to talk a little bit about avoiding the fatal leap, and it's good good reflection. Uh, stay tuned on our social media and all that stuff for the new ways that we want to engage with our learning community. As obviously, uh, we're starting to kind of build momentum towards what that looks like, but I'm really hopeful uh, that, as I mentioned in my last live video, that we're the curriculum together. It's not just uh, leadership books or leadership experts that we're learning from, but it's us together learning uh, that's really uh, what's going to develop and create a, a better world. So uh, stay safe and uh, have a great, great weekend. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.